Hi everyone, welcome once again to Dan1132. I'm Jim Wittivine. It's good to be here with you once again this week for another episode of the podcast. This is episode 108. And in this episode, I'm going to be continuing on with the discussion of eschatology, the issue of the last days or the last things, and the third part in this series, Eschatology 101. And last week, I mentioned that this week we would be starting to take a look at Revelation, Revelation chapter 1 specifically. But before actually getting into Revelation 1, I wanted to lay some groundwork for what we read in the first few verses. And so in order to do that, I want to look with you at the book of Daniel, and specifically Daniel chapter 12. And I'm going to open up Daniel chapter 12 uh, on the screen here for those of you who are watching on Rumble. Uh, if uh, if you're just listening, you can uh, listen along or you can get your own Bible and take a look at uh, what the passage has to say. And I'm going to be dealing specifically with the issue of the time frame of the book of Revelation, and specifically in the first few verses of Revelation chapter 1, where that time frame of what Revelation is all about is laid out there very clearly. And I want to compare the time frame of Revelation with what we read in Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, Daniel is, uh, is receiving revelations, revisions about what is going to happen in, for him, what was the distant future. And I'm just going to read from the beginning of the chapter, uh, beginning at verse 1. So Daniel chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So the important passage here that I want to highlight and make a comparison also with Revelation is verse 4. So Daniel 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Now, we're not going to get into great detail about what Daniel is talking about here. Uh, just, just to say that he is uh, seeing what is going to happen uh, around the time of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The, inaug- the kingdom inauguration work, we could say, of Jesus Christ and what was going to happen after that. So continuing in Daniel 12, verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, 
and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Once again, the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So Daniel 12, verse 9. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So we see here another uh, parallel between the apocalyptic writings of the New Testament, specifically the little apocalypse, Matthew 24, the abomination that makes desolate. And he says there's going to be 1,290 days until that time. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So what is this end? I think we get an important clue about that end in verse 7. So uh, in verse 7, And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, so the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. So we're, ta- we're talking about the shattering of the power. Who are the holy people? Well, they're the, the people of the covenant, the people of Israel. The shattering of their power comes to an end. All these things would be finished. But Daniel's told, seal these things up because the time is not now. These things are not happening soon. And they did not happen soon. It would be uh, according to the prophecy. And the faithful remnant that was in Judah, in Jerusalem at the time, we read about that in the Gospels, those who were awaiting the coming of the Messiah, they were aware of what Daniel had written. They were aware that the prophecy would be fulfilled because they had actually the numbers and they had rightly understood what was about to happen. But the important thing is that these words would be sealed up, they would be shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So now we go to Revelation. And we're going to take a look, first of all, at Revelation chapter 22. So we're not, we're not going to Revelation 1 yet. We'll get there. I promise we'll get there. Uh, but we're going to, going to look at Revelation 22, because here we see the... Um, the contrast with Daniel specifically. So Revelation 22, beginning at verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And that take, take special note of that, because that is very much uh, central to the message here. It's what is what, what, what must soon take place. And begin, continuing with verse 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And again, there's that word, soon. I am coming soon. Well, what, what does that mean? And we'll, we'll speak more about that. 
Then continue on in verse 8, Revelation 22, verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And then verse 10, important when it comes to that contrast with what's written in Daniel. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Then verse 12, so we see here more parallels with what's written in Daniel. And then Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So very pointed language here about the timing of the fulfillment of what's written in Revelation. And a contrast, a stark contrast, and an obvious contrast with what was written in the book of Daniel and what Daniel was commanded to do. And again, I'll repeat that because it's important. Daniel is told to shut up and seal the words of the book because the time is not soon. In contrast to that, John is told, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. And then let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. So we see that contrast there. And that contrast is, this is God's word that we're dealing with. So the contrast is deliberate. This is not accidental. This is not coincidence. The contrast is deliberate and it's meaningful. It means what it says. It means that what is about to happen is about to happen. It's going to happen soon. Now, that brings us to Revelation chapter 1. Finally, to Revelation 1. And we're, gonna, we're just going to take a look at the first few verses of Revelation chapter 1 because it sets the stage for what's coming. So first of all, beginning at verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The word soon in Greek is the word takos, and that means soon. Uh, and the, the definition, it, it also includes the definition of the verb uh, or, or of the noun tache, uh, which means quickness or haste. So it must soon take place, means it's, it's happening soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And that word for near is angus, which means near. So these things are happening soon, and the time is near. And then begins the address to the seven churches. So, so again, this book is addressed to seven specific historical churches. 
And it's talking about things that are going to happen soon. And in Revelation 2 and 3, we have the the oracles or the messages to those seven churches, which places the book of Revelation firmly in its historical context. And that's so very important when we think about how we interpret Scripture, that we interpret it in its historical context in order to apply it to ourselves. And this is... uh, an important aspect of of hermeneutics, which is the study of the application of Scripture, before we think about how we apply the Word to ourselves, we need to think about how the Word was applied and would have been applicable to the original readers. And John, at the beginning of Revelation, he also speaks to that context. Uh, He says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So this is going to be sent to those seven churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor, the churches that we'll uh, learn more about in chapters two and three. So they're the ones who are receiving this message. The question that we need to ask ourselves is what would they have taken from these messages that they were receiving? What would they have heard Or what would they have surmised about this message uh, in their own context, given what is said to each of those churches individually in those seven messages or seven oracles from Jesus Christ in chapters 2 and 3? What would their conclusions have been when John said, these are things that, verse 1, that must soon take place, and in verse 3, the time is near? Well, what would they have thought about that? Now, one thing that's often mentioned is the passage that says, with the Lord, uh, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. And that's all well and good, because it, it speaks about the fact that the Lord's time is not our time. And, and that's very true. God is eternal, and we are time-bound. Uh, time for us is a much different thing than it is for the creator of time, the one who exists Uh, who form time, who exists outside of time. Obviously, we live in a different relationship to time than he does. But to say that this passage says that things are going to happen soon, these are things that must soon take place, Uh, this passage says the time is near, but with the Lord, a thousand days, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. Therefore, soon or near can actually mean Uh, not soon, or not near. Well, we need to question that conclusion because, again, this is addressed, Revelation is sent to Christians in seven real historical churches to help them, to encourage them, to challenge them, to uh, exhort them to turn to Christ, to look to Christ, to understand what he is accomplishing and what he is about to accomplish uh, in their own situation. And this message was meant to be a great encouragement to them, to give them courage, to give them what they needed to deal with what was going to happen and what was going to happen soon in their context because things were about to get uh, real. And for them, they had already been suffering. 
They were suffering in different ways, and we'll see that as we look at chapters 2 and 3. Uh, and that, that suffering was going to intensify. And so they needed to be prepared. They needed to be ready for what was about to happen. And that's what Revelation is about, first and foremost, to prepare them, to make them uh, able to act as faithful witnesses to what was about to happen and, and faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. And we see that language being used here in chapter 1. So we'll just continue here uh, to look at Revelation chapter 1 in, in verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So that's that, that word, the faithful witness, is, is extremely important, or that expression. And uh, that expression comes back again and again in Revelation. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth. And again, I'm going to uh, adjust the translation here, especially because we have the words tribes and the word gay, uh, the Greek word gay, so tribes of the gay, uh, to use that, that the, the Greek expression. Uh, so I'm going to use the translation, and all the tribes of the land, meaning the land of Israel, will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So he is coming with the clouds. What does that mean? Is this talking about the final coming or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead, as we confess in the Nicene Creed and uh, the Apostles' Creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead? Or is this talking about something different? Well, what is this coming with the clouds? Well, coming with the clouds, when, when God comes with the clouds, he's coming in judgment. This is talking about a day of judgment that is coming. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Well, who are the ones who pierced him? Well, it's that generation in Jerusalem, in Judea, at that time, who were the ones who brought the Lord Jesus to his death, to being pierced, uh, to being crucified. So the judgment would fall upon that generation as the Lord Jesus himself said. So when he, when he speaks about every eye seeing him, he's talking about every eye of those, those of that generation, speaking specifically about Israel and speaking specifically about that generation that pierced him. The generation that said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. So they would experience firsthand the coming of the Lord in judgment upon them. And all the tribes of the land will, will wail on account of him. So they will be smitten or they will be cut down. They will mourn on account of him. Even so, amen. So the word is, is faithful and it is certain. And then continuing on in, in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
And then we get to the vision of the Son of Man. We'll just continue on through the end of Revelation 1. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John identifies himself as a brother and partner in three things, the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance. So the tribulation, the tribulation is is the testing, the time of testing, or uh, oppression, or uh, suffering. And remember that Revelation is going to be talking about the great tribulation that's coming. But this is talking about the tribulation, which is the beginning of the birth pains that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. So already they have been experiencing tribulations. And the, the apostles, the, the, uh, Jesus himself said this to his disciples, and the apostles in their writings also said this, that the Christian life is a life of facing tribulations, faith having to deal with uh, these, uh, these times of, uh, or this, this suffering in the Christian life. So he's their partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, so he's, he's, the tribulation is caused because of the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Christ, which is the kingdom that they're proclaiming in the gospel message, and the patient endurance. So along with the tribulation comes patient endurance. And again, that uh, message of patient endurance is a message like the message of the faithful witness. Uh, it's a, uh, a message that keeps coming back in the book of Revelation. So it's an encouragement to the readers. John is their partner in all of these things. And he's on the island of Patmos. And Patmos was, or is, an island, a Greek island in the Aegean Sea, where John was exiled under Nero. And this is, this is an important point because it speaks to the date of when Revelation was written. And different interpretations of Revelation depend on uh, one date of the writing of Revelation uh, as opposed to another. Because my argument is, is based on the fact that I firmly believe that Revelation, like all of the other books of the New Testament, was written prior to the year 70 AD. And that's a very important point because other interpretations of the book of Revelation uh, point to the fact, or, or to the idea, not the fact, but the idea that Revelation was written during the reign of the emperor Domitian. Uh, so after 70 AD and not before. There's been a book written about uh, the dating of Revelation, so I'm not going to get into all of the arguments uh, for the early date of Revelation, uh, but the book, for those who are interested, it's a very good book, very well researched, very well presented, and totally convincing uh, to me. Uh, the book is Before Jerusalem Fell, and the author of that book is Kenneth Gentry. So, Before Jerusalem Fell, and I've got it here on my shelves uh, behind me. But I'm, So, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail, just to say that I accept the conclusion that Revelation, along with all of the other books of the, of, of the New Testament, were completed, was completed prior to the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70. So leading up to the great tribulation is this time of tribulation, a time of persecution under the emperor Nero. And John is exiled to the island of Patmos. 
It's it's a, an island where people who were considered to be uh, a danger to the safety and security of the empire were sent were sent into exile. So we're not told exactly why, like the 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 exact details of why John was sent into exile, but just that he was there on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he goes on to say in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned, verse 12, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we see the the purpose here of what John, what was about to be revealed to John. So on the Lord's day, on uh, Sunday, the day of the Lord's resurrection, uh, he is in the spirit and he receives this vision, and. Uh, the Lord Jesus appears to him. And he appears to him in a way that has many parallels uh, with the passages of the Old Testament in in Ezekiel and Daniel, uh, showing his glory, revealing who he is, revealing his divinity in his references to himself. And all of these, these revelations about who the Lord Jesus is will come back again in chapters two and three. And it points to, this points to, again, the importance of the original context, because these, these, uh, these words are meant for these seven churches specifically. And the, the mystery of the seven stars is explained in the last verse of the chapter, and, and the seven golden lampstands, which shows that these churches stand also at the center of this message, as the, the, the first recipients of this message. And what they are going to hear, going back to the first verses of Revelation 1, what they're going to, to hear are, is about the things that must soon take place. Those who read aloud the words of this prophecy, so uh, in the worship services in these seven churches, uh, this book would be read, it would be read aloud by the person who had the scroll he would read aloud from the words of the of this prophecy uh, in public worship. The congregation would be there hearing. The one who reads is blessed, and the one uh, the ones who hear are blessed, and they are also told to keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So this really says something very important. 
in our our time for for every age, but especially when these issues come to the fore again, as they have come to the fore again recently. When when this happens, and we hear so often in the broader evangelical world, especially from uh, those who hold to the eschatological system of dispensationalist premillennialism, that what's happening in the Middle East is now fulfilling what Revelation spoke about, or what Daniel spoke about, or what Ezekiel spoke about. Now we're seeing it. 2,000 years after uh, this prophecy was written, now, now suddenly it's, it's applicable to us in our situation, as it was applicable apparently in the 1970s in times of crisis, uh, at the height of the Cold War and the, 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 that cold conflict between the USSR and the West when that was all interpreted in the, in the light of Revelation. And now with things that are going on in Israel, things that are going on in the Middle East, now we are seeing the prophecies of Revelation being fulfilled. Well, when we hear about all of these things, we need to ask some serious questions about this. First of all, how would God revealing what was going to happen in the year 2023 or in the 21st century, just more generally, how would that have been an encouragement for the seven churches in Asia Minor in their own particular circumstances? Oh, we're suffering. We're being persecuted. We're suffering because of enemies within and enemies without. We're facing the synagogue of Satan. Uh, we're facing those who call themselves Jews, but who are, but who are not within, and they're they're working in concert with the state, the, the, the state system, to persecute us. There's these false teachers that are also uh, causing great problems. There's problems with attitudes and, and uh, uh, spiritual weakness in the churches. But 2,000 years from now, we know that the, you know, as we hear these words, we know that sometime in the distant future, these things are going to happen. It takes what's, what's written in Revelation and what's revealed in Revelation completely out of its original context. And not only that, it needs to do, that interpretation needs to do an injustice to what is actually said in these first verses of Revelation and also in Revelation 22 when John is told not to seal up the words of this book in contrast to what Daniel had been told five centuries before, to seal up the words of the book, because the time was not not soon, now it is soon. These things must soon take place. The time is near. Yes, with the Lord, as I already mentioned, a thousand years is as a day. But these words were directed to real people living in real time, and the words soon and near don't speak about the Lord's time, but speak about our time. And so these are some foundational issues in eschatology or in the interpretation of the book of Revelation and the other eschatological passages of the New Testament and the Old Testament that are, that are absolutely vital to understand so that we don't get uh, deceived by the messages that we hear in the broader uh, evangelical world and the messages that are being proclaimed and the idea that that 
uh, everything's coming to a head right now. And all of these messages have to do with exactly what we're experiencing right now. Totally ignoring the original context in which these words were written. And so these are some some foundational issues as we uh, begin our look at the book of Revelation. And so as we as we lay that foundation that the the important issue is the issues here are the time frame which is expressly mentioned the the not sealing of the book which also gives another uh another hint as to uh the near fulfillment of what was going what was written in revelation and the fact that it doesn't deal with issues that are uh, 2000 years down the road uh, and also the original context of the seven churches and the their calling to be faithful witnesses uh, in their own circumstances, in their own context, in their own historical context, and in the context of the life of their church community, which is central to this message. So in the next episode, we'll continue our look at Revelation and we'll get into Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we'll look at the situations of those seven churches who were the first recipients of the book of Revelation. So thanks for being with me once again for this uh, third part in this series on Eschatology 101. If you did find this helpful, please do pass it on. Pass on the, the link to the Rumble channel, pass on the link to the, the audio podcast to uh, anyone who you think might be interested. If you have any questions, please do send those questions. You can use the form on the website, or uh, there's also a poll question that's included with the audio podcast in some uh, some of the providers of audio podcasts. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but I have received questions via that means and comments as well, uh, via that means. So feel free to use that. Check out the website, www.dan1132.com. And uh, in the website, if you use the contact form, if you're interested in getting a copy of my book on Daniel, uh, Stand Firm and Take Action, uh, that book is, I I still have some copies of that book available. That book is available for $10 plus shipping. Uh, Or my newer book, which is How in the World Did We Get Here, available in hardcover. Uh, $15 plus shipping. If you're interested in that, just send me a note using the contact form on the website. Again, www.dan1132.com. So until next time, may God bless you. May God bless us all. May he help us to understand his word, to be people who know him and knowing him. May he also help us to stand firm and to take action.